0: Hey there, Mike Stelzner. Before we get started with today's podcast episode, I want to let you know about something exciting we've got going on. If you know you need to do more with video marketing so that you can increase your influence, visibility, and sales, but you're just not sure how to up your Instagram stories and IGTV, Facebook ads, YouTube content, well, guess what? We have an awesome solution for you. It's called Video Marketing Summit. This is the first time we've ever done anything like this. It's our online event taught by an amazing lineup of the top video pros in the world. If this is something you're interested in, be sure to check out videomarketingsummit.live.
1: Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner.
0: Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelsner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who wanna know what works with social media. Today, I'll be joined by Gina Bianchini, and we're gonna explore a really interesting topic, which is how do you build a community in a world where the major social platforms do everything in their power to minimize the reach of your posts. That's what we're going to talk about today with Gina. I think you're going to find it absolutely fascinating. By the way, if you want to reach me, I can be found at Stelzner on Instagram, or you can email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. And now for this week's brand new discovery.
1: Helping you stay alive in the social jungle. Here is this week's survival tip.
0: This week, I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What did you find, Eric?
1: I found a great web-based application called Quick that does automatic transcriptions for your vertical video and your horizontal video, and it will even burn those captions in and send you the video back with them in it.
0: So you mean it does closed captioning or whatever we call yes. it? So yes. So
1: how does that work exactly? So what it does is it's using AI it you you what you do is you if you're on desktop but especially this is really the, the really killer thing that this does is you can do it on mobile so you could record instagram stories snippets like story by story mm-hmm. and send it you know open up this up in your web-based browser upload the video and they do ai over it and transcribe it and then show you the captions right there burned in and before you download it back out you can fix it you can change the misspellings, maybe, if you want to. I mean, it's, it's got like they boast a 91% accuracy, which I've found is probably low on their part. I think it's actually a bit higher from what, from my use cases. And even if there are misspellings, or if there's like, you know, they, they hear it, they say they took your name, Mike, M I K E, but they thought that you meant microphone and they put M I C. You right. can quickly go in and just change that. Huh. Then you confirm it and download the video with it.
0: So is there a limit to how long the video can be?
1: No, it's just a matter of what plan you have. So there's different, you know, there's different amounts of time that you get used per month based on which account you have, which account level.
0: Is there a free account?
1: There is a free account that gives you two minutes per month, which if you're talking about using this for stories and you're talking about 15 second clips, you might be able to get away with that for a good chunk of time.
0: Does it give you any control over where those captions appear on the video?
1: Yes. So then once you've confirmed the text is correct and you can even you can then go in and change the font type or the size or the color so it'll best match your branding even and arrange it a little bit differently. You can add like a background or an outline or, you know, some drop shadow to it so it pops a little bit more from the video as it's moving. Hmm.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I mean it sounds like it's like its name, very fast, huh? Does it, it
1: does. Yes, quick. I'm glad you picked up on that. It also <laughs> will allow you to download the SRT file as well. So you could have burn-in captions, an SRT file, or both.
0: Huh. Where do we find this thing?
1: So it's real easy to find. You just go to quick.io, but it's a different spelling of quick. It's Q-U-I-C-C dot I-O.
0: Q-U-I-C-C dot I-O is where we can try this sucker out. That's it. Thank you so much, Eric.
1: You're welcome. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide.
0: Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Gina Bianchini. If you don't know who Gina is, she is a community building expert. She's the former CEO and co-founder of Ning. And she's also the founder and CEO of Mighty Networks. Gina, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you for having me. This is so fun.
0: I'm excited to have you. Today, Gina and I are going to explore why building community and groups is really important for businesses and for marketers. But before we go there, I would love to hear your backstory. Um, start wherever you want to start preening. you know, Tell us, how did you become a community building pro, if you will?
2: It's funny. I grew up in Cupertino, uh, California. So I I grew up basically in orchards that then became Apple Buildings. So that garage where Apple was started was probably about a mile away from my house. The way I became passionate about communities and specifically online communities was actually completely based on where I'm from. And the fact that when I grew up in Cupertino, California, kind of in the shadow of what became Apple. It started off as Orchards and then became Apple. And actually, interestingly, at the spaceship at Apple, it's all Orchards again. So like everything comes full circle. People followed their passions. They followed their interests. So Apple was started from the Homebrew Computer Club. It was a group of engineers who were just super geeked out building their own computers. In the same place, my father was just total car junkie. So actually built a Model T Ford and then a Model A Ford from parts when he was in high school. And then when he was a high school teacher and then a high school assistant principal and on weekends and at nights was actually rebuilding cars. So, you know, had on a teacher salary a Porsche and Mercedes that actually today is worth a lot of money. And my mom raised guinea pigs and then we raised rabbits. So there was always a group of people that you could go down an interest or a passion or a goal or just try stuff. My grandparents had started the Cupertino Lions Club and the Dioro Women's Club. And so that was just the world that I grew up in. Fast forward, you know, 20 plus years and kind of, again, growing up in the shadow of technology, I was always comfortable with software. I was always comfortable with hardware. There was always somebody around whose parents or was an engineer at Lockheed or an engineer at HP, Hewlett Packard. And there was always somebody around who who was just super curious and wanted to explain how software or how hardware worked. Fast forward to 2003, 2004, I am at the end of my first startup and all of this world of basically social networking, it was called user generated content at this time, starts happening. I wish it had happened sort of on one day, but it happened in a very concentrated set of time. One day would have made a better story, like a lightning bolt coming down and hitting me in the head, striking me down. It just all made sense that bringing people together, utilizing software was not only the future but that it would be something that we could take that same energy and that same passion of building an interest-based community that I grew up with into the world across billions of people in ways that could be incredibly powerful, incredibly interesting, incredibly meaningful. And to this day represents a slightly different perspective and a slightly different view of the future and the role that social software should play in our lives than certainly what a lot of us you know have come to expect from social media.
0: So it's 2004. Before Ning or when you started Ning? or It's
2: when we started Ning, yeah. So we started Ning in late 2004. Um, a very good friend of mine at the time was just transitioning out of PayPal after they sold to eBay and was starting a social network that was professionally oriented. And I was seeing what he was investing in and seeing what he was starting with LinkedIn. And again, we were, it was all a very small village in Palo Alto and in San Francisco at the time, in part because everybody had sort of had left because we were in the midst of the dot-com bust. And then my other friend, Mark Andreessen, was like, wow, this is actually really interesting stuff. What about if we looked at and thought about creating a programmable platform similar to the web, but for social networks? And that was the genesis of Ning and what we started with Ning, where you could create your own social network on that platform.
0: So somewhere along the line, something must have happened with Ning that led you to Mighty Networks. Can you share a little bit about that story?
2: I mean, yes and no. I would say a lot of it had more to do with personalities involved than it had to do with the underlying, you know, vision or philosophy or approach. And so at that point in time, I started Mighty Networks and have kind of continued this vision of how do we bring people together around a shared interest, a shared passion, a shared goal with And this is the most important difference in the model and what we're building that puts the creator or the brand at the center of the software so that we're essentially giving that creator, that coach, that brand, that business, that reason for people to come together that really, if you think about it, it's like the, the mentor or that person that is guiding the people that they're bringing together. How do we put them at the center of the software and give them superpowers to bring people together, make connections between people, and ultimately build the thing that we all know has really changed the face of business, which is a network effect. Meaning how could a brand or a business or a creator create something that gets more valuable to everyone with every new person who joins. And the reality is that when you limit and create something that is narrowly focused on an interest, a specific niche, you actually can create a network effect with a smaller number of people. You don't need a billion people. You don't even need, you know, 300 people. You can actually create something that gets more valuable with every new person who joins.
0: And what year did you start Mighty Networks?
2: I started Mighty Networks in 2011.
0: And can you describe today kind of what it is for people that might not be familiar with it?
2: Sure. So we are a software as a service platform. And on our platform, we give you the ability to, under your brand, all in one place, bring together a community, your content, online courses, events, polls, member profiles, and a number of other features. Plus, and this is the big deal, subscription or one-time payments for any sort of element within that. So you can bring together all under your brand, the ability to bring people together, sell membership, basically create a membership site, bring people together, sell online courses, bring people together and sell access to events or individual groups all under your brand across every platform.
0: And you are a mobile app, right?
2: Yeah, that's my point. So we have the ability to deliver a Mighty Network on either our iOS, Android, and web app. And we also then have a premium product called Mighty Pro, which allows you to have your own iOS app, your own Android app, be in the Google Play Store, the Apple App Store, and obviously on the web, all under your brand in three weeks. Otherwise, have to do custom development to be able to deliver which for those who had any sort of contact with custom development is $100,000, a 10 to 12 month process and tends to end in pain and, and tears. So we basically make all of that obsolete You actually can be up and running under your own brand for a fraction of what you would pay for custom development. And what's great is you can turn on or off features that would otherwise take you three to six months and an incremental budget to go ahead and build. So
0: everyone who's listening, I just want you to know that I sought out Gina for this interview today. It wasn't the other way around because... I've heard Gina on other podcasts, and I feel like she has a really interesting, fresh perspective on kind of where we are in the world right now when it comes to building communities and groups. And what I want to do, now that you understand her story about how she co-founded Ning and how she also has got this alternative platform to Facebook called Mighty Networks, I, I want to kind of talk about, from her perspective, a whole bunch of interesting things. Let's start with, first of all, You know, my audience is mostly marketers um, working for someone else and their mission as social media marketers, many of them is to develop community. And I'm curious from your perspective, why do you think communities and groups are so important, you know, in 2019 when we're recording this and why does it matter for marketers?
2: So the number one goal of any marketer is to bring more people to your product or service and ideally at the lowest cost possible. Get more people aware of your product, engaged with your product or service, buying your product or service, and to do so at the lowest cost possible. So what a community or a network effect, meaning it gets more valuable with every new person who joins, allows you to do is grow faster, at a significantly lower cost when you get a community right. So from my perspective, and I am a contrarian in this regard, a audience is not a community, an audience is an audience. And so if you are quote unquote, building a community on the general one size fits all social platforms that are out there, you're actually building an audience, you're not building a community. And the difference is, That if someone follows you, your brand does not get more valuable for them for every new follower who joins. Now, when you have a network, meaning that you have created a space for them to meet each other in a way that is natural, fast, normal, valuable, they are actually able to get value from each other doesn't happen in the comment section, barely happens in sort of one size fits all platform groups, which we can talk about separately. But if you are a marketer, and you are not thinking about how do you create a network effect? How do you create a community where you are actually building relationships between the people who may follow you today or may be fans of your brand, then you are absolutely leaving attention that you can get from them on the table and you are spending more on marketing than you would have to if you were creating a network effect. Now, some products and services lend themselves to this model very nicely. For example, if you serve a small business customer, small businesses are dying to talk to each other in the right context where they can make better, more well-informed decisions about their business and get stories and experiences of other people so that they can do their jobs better. They can build a a successful business faster, more effectively. Coca-Cola. Little harder. Like nobody like woke up this morning and they're like, Man, if I could only talk to somebody else who drinks Diet Coke. But when you find that thing, and especially if you have digital services or it's healthcare related, or it is something where there is a education component to it, you are so well served to find a place that and and create a space that is separate. That is outside the noise and clutter of social media where you are fighting alongside every other competitor and just friend and family member of that person where you can actually build relationships between the people who are your fans and followers. And this is the most important thing.
0: I want to add a real world example to this. Sure. Uh, We do a conference called Social Media Marketing World. We've been doing it for seven years and 5,000 marketers come from all over the world and they come to listen to experts. But the part that they actually enjoy the most is our networking plaza where we have like a couple hundred tables on all these different topics where they can sit around people that share a common interest and they can actually talk about things that they care about. And people walk away from that wowed because they're like, wow, here are other people just like me. I got to connect with these people. I walk away changed as a result of it. And that is something that I think many of us understand that have done these small gatherings of physical people. And what you're saying is you can do this now online and you should be doing it. And you
2: can do it at scale. And when you do it at scale, you will reduce your marketing costs, especially long term. You will drive greater loyalty. You will give people hundreds and then thousands and then tens of thousands and then hundreds of thousands of different reasons to come back and engage with your brand. And those represent every single person who's in your community because as they are building relationships with each other, that's all scale. That's all leverage that you are not having to pay every single time you want to reach that person because they actually have a network of people and conversations and topics that they are engaged with in your own community. And let me add one, one thing here, because I think this is actually something that is super important. And it's something that marketers, especially in my experience, have been a little afraid of, which is the absolute best, most valuable communities are those that have a big purpose to them. They have a way and a promise that members are going to master something interesting to them together. And this notion of mastering something interesting together is at the core of what the very best brands are creating today when they think about not just creating an audience, but creating a network effect.
0: Talk to us about that. Give us an example or two from your communities that you see. Sure.
2: The examples that I have tend to be around an interest or a passion or goal because that's what we have seen. (laughs) That's what we're built for. That's what we attract. Brands that are related or adjacent can do something very similar, but I'll give you a very simple example. There is a YouTube star and her channel is Yoga with Adrienne and she's got about 5 million subscribers on YouTube. And They originally had a Facebook group, about 25,000 people in it. And find what feels good is the community. And they, getting ready for a 30-day yoga challenge and have offered for the last few years, every January, they decided to actually experiment with a Mighty Network. And again, less about a commercial for Mighty Network, although I think it's a great platform or else I probably should go do something else. But it is away from the noise and clutter of Facebook. It's away from this. And this was the thing I didn't realize. So Yoga with Adrian, find what feels good What they were finding on their Facebook group was that when people were showing up for a yoga, private yoga group, they were, according to, (laughs) I love this language, they were coming in hot. They were ready for a fight. They were debating people because again, most of the group was only sort of seeing yoga with Adrian and find what feels good in their feed right next to, you know, an eighth grade graduation photo, but then also a a political debate or a conspiracy theory or something else that was highly charged, especially when you think about what, what the algorithms on Facebook are trying to do, which is to get you engaged, but around something that's highly charged. So now they're actually having to deal with angry people in a yoga community, which sort of defeated the purpose. So they basically said, hey, wait a second, it's time for us to move. So they moved to a Mighty Network, And what they found was people were asking the same question in sort of both places. And the Mighty Network was where they decided to invest in, not only because we have great software, but because it was outside the rapidly moving feed with lots of political arguments and discussions, they were actually finding deeper conversation, more engaged people who were showing up. And today, that Mighty Network has 90,000 people in it. And here's the kicker that I didn't fully realize until like, Two nights ago, when I was looking at something. So they do this 30 day yoga challenge. They went this year off Facebook from 40,000 members to 90,000 members in a single month because of this yoga challenge. So, you know, the growth that is happening outside of a Facebook group, the quality of conversation outside of a Facebook group, and therefore as well, the fact that it's easier to manage a community. It, it is especially when you are driving forward this notion of. Mastering something interesting together. People are showing up, they're fired up, they're providing value for each other. And it's a very simple way of setting it up and running it, which is the exact opposite of what community and building Facebook groups has come to mean to marketers, where it's like, oh my gosh, I need to have 17 moderators. And like, what if people are, are trolling us or what if they hate our product or all of the things that just feel almost out of control, which is why you don't want to build. community. That might be why you don't want to build a community on Facebook in a Facebook group or on your Facebook page. That is not happening off Facebook. And if anything, when you create a community that is well-designed and we have sort of a five-step process that makes it super easy to design a community for engagement so that it thrives and becomes so valuable, you can charge for it even think about the special world that you are creating for your customers and prospective customers in the context of things that they care about, in the thing that they want to master together.
0: I'd love to share with you some of the struggles that marketers are facing today. And then I would love to hear your thoughts on where you see the social platforms going. I am in a unique position because I'm the CEO of Social Media Examiner, and you know we have a very large tribe that is constantly struggling with all the challenges of the social platforms. Marketers today are dealing with algorithms that are repressing their posts from being seen. Small percentages of their audience see anything that they post. Then of course, we've got Google search algorithms, which are revealing the answers instead of links to websites. So traffic to our website is down. And then of course, we've got, you know, you just go on and on, and on email algorithms that are, that are not delivering our messages because they think that there's a wrong word in there. And then it goes into the spam folder. And at every turn, every major company that you can imagine that happens to be in your backyard is doing absolutely everything in their power to repress communications. That's the setup. Where do you see social platforms going from your perspective? And talk to us about this a little bit because I'm sure you're seeing some of this as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So they are going to keep doing what they are doing as long as marketers keep paying for it. Hmm. And so what I would basically say is that the future is going to be, quote unquote, won by the courageous marketers. And anybody that chooses to follow what I'm about to lay out, the courageous marketer who basically says, you know what, we are going to use the social platforms, not for everything, but for the thing that they are good at right now, while having the confidence that we can build something under our own brand that people want to use, and that can connect our fans, our followers, our customers, our prospective customers together around mastering something interesting that is important to them, given the world that our customers are living in. Whether that is yoga, whether that is small business success, whether that is anything that food, lifestyle, marketing. Help- Well, marketing certainly, but like if you are a marketer for healthcare, if you are a marketer for, you know, a small business product, if you are a marketer for anything related to travel or wellness, you have the opportunity today to create something that is owned and operated that is under your brand or your brand actually is overseeing the relationships that people are building and you're getting all that data. What do I think is getting in the way of that today? I think that the last decade has beaten out of marketers, the confidence that they can do anything that's owned and operated. And I'll just give an example where it's like, you know, the the answer was never, oh, our website, because it's our website, everybody's on Facebook, and we can't actually build out something that could build a community driven business or brand that is really valuable to people. It's that you were competing with Facebook, with a static website that you had a staff that was just pushing content into it. That's completely not engaging. It's not a network effect. It's not all of the things that Facebook brought to the table, but Facebook in and of itself, it's not magic you know, nobody can actually deal with more than 150 people. Like, it's about how you create experiences in an owned and operated way where you have access to the data, you can build a network effect, you can, you know, follow some simple principles to create a habit amongst your members, and your customers and prospective customers, bring those people together and have something that is at its core, you doing brand building that is community driven. So what's going to happen to the platforms? I don't think they're going anywhere anytime soon, but I do think that the cracks in the armor have happened and they are going to basically start to see a outflux and people who are abandoning the platform, it won't be that everybody deletes Facebook, they're just spending a little less time on it. Right. And the creators, the people that are selling you know, digital services or have followers. They are looking for ways today. These are the leading edge folks that they realize they're like, wait a second. I want to have a membership site where I can actually get people to pay for this network effect. I want to build something that I can have merch that I can sell. I'm going to still build my audience on Facebook or Instagram, but I want to have something that I control and that I own and is mine, whether that's using Shopify for my e-commerce store, whether that's using Mighty Networks for my community and my courses and my commerce, my digital commerce. And that is the future. And so what's going to happen is that you'll continue to see, especially North America usage on Facebook, just maintain and just be flat. And then it'll start to go down over time. And people are going to be spending more and more of their time in chat and messaging they will continue to spend time on on Instagram, they'll continue to find other ways off Instagram to make sure that they're able to build communities that are taking more and more time spent. And the reason for that is super obvious. Facebook is going to roll out their same playbook on Instagram. And now all of a sudden, your 28,000 followers, you'll be able to reach 1% of them. And now Facebook's going to use this playbook again that they used for brands that had built those teams and had big budgets and had nowhere else to go to be able to grow and get additional scale. Creators can. And the software is now in a place where you can have an owned and operated experience that is equally, if not more compelling to what in the past has has been limited to Facebook.
0: And so, Gina, you use the word creators, but I also want to say to all the people that are listening right now is content creation. We might not think of ourselves as creators because hundreds of millions of people that have Facebook pages, only 6 million of them are doing ads. So the rest of these people are really creators. We just don't call ourselves that. Instead, we're using content in marketing. And I think what you're saying applies just as much to the content marketer, yeah. the person who's creating content to draw an audience to them, hoping that a subsegment of that audience will ultimately be interested and become a customer.
2: Yes. Except that this is the really cool thing is right now that content creator has to just keep pushing out article after article after article. And then like barely at the end, we'll be like, Hey guys, what do you think? When you build a community and you design it, such that it has a big purpose. It has that clarity around what we're gonna go master together. And you've laid out the next 12 months and know exactly what results that you wanna get. And you have monthly themes and you have a weekly calendar and you have daily actions. You can do so much less work and see so much more engagement because people are actually contributing in ways that simply does not happen on social media. And here's the beautiful thing about this. I think we're going to live in a world over the next decade where there are millions of interest-based communities and social networks and brands that choose to start to build out their own owned and operated, branded for them, but really about their customer and the market in which they operate they will be able to win in a way that is just simply not possible on social media today. Their costs will go down, the engagement will go up, and the level of organic or viral growth that you can get from building a network effect, because the software has gotten good enough where you can do it under your brand, will be a completely different calculation and relationship that you have with your customer, with your data and leverage that you have where you're not dependent on the social media platforms that
0: are out there. You wrote a great article on LinkedIn shortly after Mark Zuckerberg came out and pretty much said Facebook groups are our future. Facebook groups are our future. Talk to us about you introduced the concept of gaslighting. So I would love to explore the premise and thoughts behind this article, because I think it's very important that our audience hear what you have to say about that.
2: Yeah. So, you know, the idea that First of all, you know, Facebook, nothing is important to Facebook unless they can generate significant revenue from it. They have $55 billion in revenue that they actually have to continue to grow at 10 to 20% a year. So, in terms of the new revenue that they have to generate, oh, and by the way, their North America and uh, European markets are flat in terms of actual users and usage. And that is where over 70% of their revenue, their advertising revenue comes from. So that's the business reality of Facebook. And what Facebook has chosen time and time again is to build their business. That is how they, like what they care about, they care about the stock price. And if they cared about something other than the stock price, they would probably make different decisions than they are making today. So. When you look at that and you look at what they have done to brands, where, you know, for many people that don't remember that, like going back to 2007, 2008, the promise for brands was that you would create your Facebook page and people would show up on your Facebook page. And that was going to be your new website. That would be the place where they would interact. And, you know, if you wanted to, to get in front of new people to find your, your Facebook page, you could do that and you'd boost it once. And then that person was your follower or you would advertise to people, you would acquire them for, you know, five or $10. And then that was your fan, right?
0: Oh yeah, that's true. Well,
2: That was the deal. And not only did people get super excited, they're like, yeah, I'm all in on Facebook. This is awesome. This is where everybody is. I got my Facebook page. We've been paying outside third parties to like spruce it up and make it awesome and, and super interactive. And then this was the kicker. If you look at the growth, the exponential hyper growth of Facebook, it actually came at the same time that brands decided that they were going to start including Facebook and Twitter in all of their advertisements.
0: Bingo. That's when you started seeing tweets and Twitter IDs and Facebook IDs and and, print ads and television.
2: Find us on Facebook. So basically this was brands. They were going to market Facebook at the expense of themselves on some level, unfortunately. So then that happens. And in about 2010, 2000, I think it may have been 11 or 12. I'm not exactly sure of the date. Facebook said, you know what? All that stuff that we promised you would be like, you know, one and done. You would acquire somebody and they would be yours. Yeah, we're changing the rules. So now... We're going to essentially get rid of the functionality on your page. We're going to move everything into the feed. And now you have to fight in the feed to reach your people a second, third, 10th time. Now you have to boost. So now all of a sudden, if we're being generous, it's like three to 5% of your fans and followers that you purchased as a brand will see any organic posts that you make and realistically where they are really making their money is on loose and on this ability to say hey I gotta get this in front of more people so that's the deal with brands what do you think they're gonna do with groups
0: it wasn't you know, just pages it was everything with Facebook right and the same thing with Instagram right everything that they've ever touted as very important like live video there was a day where you can go live and I remember the day where I had a thousand people in three seconds watching me live on Facebook now it's like you're lucky to get a hundred people watching you live. And even though the audience is 10 times bigger than it was. So every time they've ever come out with any new feature, they tout it to get everybody to use it. And then eventually they flip the switch and they say, Oh, free is done time to pay. Right?
2: Right. Exactly. And so the idea that that wouldn't happen with groups is just naive. And so here's the best way to sort of approach Facebook. And look, I have a Facebook account We've stopped advertising on Facebook because it's not nearly as effective for us as, as other channels, but we have been advertising on Facebook. Like, here's the thing though you use, let's take the live video. For example, if you have your own owned and operated community, you have something under your brand, you have somewhere to send people that the rules don't change. You have 100% access to them. You have 100% access to all of their data. You have 100% you know, ability to market to them or talk to them or connect them to each other. That's all you know live. It gets better every month because you're partnering with somebody as great as Mighty Networks. But that then what you do is you say, okay, I'm going to use live video when it's 1,000 people. And I'm going to use and get in front of those 1,000 people. Or if they want to have groups be great, great. I'm going to use their algorithm to funnel people into my group. And then I'm going to use my owned and operated place as the place I send as many people as I can. And I'm going to get them into a world off Facebook by taking advantage of whatever the latest thing is that Facebook's trying to promote so that when they flip the switch and they stop promoting it and they want you to start paying, you are not dependent on them at that moment. And that to me is the arbitrage opportunity with Facebook. And it only works if you are distributed and you have your own community under your own brand that is compelling and brings people back. And you've set it up so that it's got a purpose to it. And it's got the right kind of cadence and have built a habit amongst your people. When you have that powerful model of you're not going to lose your Facebook presence, but you have somewhere to send people such that if, if, and when, and it's really when Facebook changes the rules or decides something else is important or decides that you are the product because nothing is free. You pay for Facebook, this whole notion that like your Facebook page, your Facebook group is free is silly. Like you don't, it's not free. You are paying for it and your members are paying for it. And that's the opportunity is how you use it to funnel organically and paid traffic into something you want.
0: I find this very fascinating. I'm not beholden to any social platform, even though we write about all the majors. (laughs) And I think that what's happening with Facebook is starting to happen with every single social platform, Twitter, LinkedIn, you know, you name them all. They're all implementing algorithms because they've all got too many people And there's a limited amount of time is what they tell us. And they're going to use the algorithm to decide what content should be shown to those people. And that is the reality. And they've all been pretty darn transparent about it. So the idea, the promise, the opportunity that we could build something, which is scary for people that aren't used to building something, but that we could build something that we can own and that can become more valuable over time as that community builds out is exceptionally valuable. And we marketers have been duped by free, right? Let's be honest. Free is like, I don't know, I grew up in the Midwest and we had these little light zappers, you know, and the bugs would fly towards it <laughs> yeah, and then they would get killed, you know? Basically yeah. the social platforms are the light zapper, okay? And us marketers are getting sucked in and then all of a sudden zzz, we're getting zapped. That's the reason I wanted to bring you on because you are providing an alternative. So I'm going to do something I don't normally do. I want to ask you, you know, how does your platform work and can it do much of the same types of functionality that Facebook groups can do?
2: Yes. So the things that a mighty network is set up to do in a superior way to a Facebook group is first and foremost, there's no advertising. So I'm in a Facebook group for something I'm doing. And like the number of other Facebook groups being advertised to me is like, wow, like, first of all, it, it does not create a premium positioning. It does not actually reinforce your brand. It's it's kind of a, a crappy place to build a brand. The Mighty Networks is a phenomenal place to build your brand because that is what we exist to do. The second thing is that because we bring together content courses which you can rename and use as workshops or seminars or any of the other things that you would want to do, especially for B2B marketers, it's really compelling. And we're about to layer in the ability to charge for individual groups, individual courses, or bundles of groups and courses and even membership into your Mighty Network. What that means is that you can actually create a digital service or a digital product that you can go ahead and sell. You you can't have subgroups in a Facebook group. You can't have courses in a Facebook group and you can't charge for a Facebook group. Nor actually, even if they added that, would you necessarily want to run all of your payments on your business through Facebook. The two things that a Mighty Network does not have today that we are going to have within the next three months, one live video. So the way live video works on a mighty network is that you use zoom, you use crowdcast and you use Google hangouts. And all of that is like pretty well integrated. You embed video in today, we'll get to live video shortly. And the second thing is that our direct messaging is one-to-one or we have group chat that lives within groups, we're going to be adding that ability to have sort of the, you know, multi-person chat of like three or four people shortly as well.
0: Okay. I've got a bunch of questions.
2: <laughs> One more thing yeah. that is different about Mighty Network is we have actually created, because your profile isn't your Facebook profile, it's actually, you create a profile per Mighty Network. You, you create an account per Mighty Network. The benefit of that is that the person that you are in the context of yoga with Adrian, you know you can be free with. you can be authentic with. And that has been something that is really powerful. The other thing that we we have is this ability to find members near you, find members like you, and find members who share the same interests in the same topics, which again, none of that's possible in a Facebook group.
0: The one big advantage, obviously, to Facebook is a lot of people live and breathe on Facebook. And the advantage is it's a place where they are organically, naturally anyways. Obviously, the downside of that, we've spent a lot of time talking about. The question for you is how does Mighty Networks get people to come back?
2: Yeah. So that's a really good question. So first and foremost, the engagement on Mighty Networks are really high because People are able to meet other people like them in the context of that interest. You know, it's completely possible in a mighty network to have 90,000, 100,000, 150,000 people. You can also have a really compelling mighty network at 100 people or 50 people because it's outside the noise and the clutter of Facebook. What's really nice about it is we've created these habits, these really nice little loops with notifications and with contributions and an icebreaker question and a welcome section and a featured section and all of these different features that we've built with the notion that every single person who shows up and creates a Mighty Network needs to go through that onboarding and launch their Mighty Network. So the reason people come back is actually for all the reasons that it's not Facebook. You can have your own context, you can have your own private. Profile. You can go really deep with people. And that's one of the things that we're really proud of. And something that people are doing to a level that has been increasingly unexpected. They're meeting up live, they're, you know, finding each other and having conversations that they would never be comfortable having on Facebook. All of that serves to reinforce and build a habit of people coming back to a mighty network.
0: Gina, first of all, this has been a really interesting dialogue. I really appreciate you coming on. Tell everyone where they can discover more about you and where they can discover more about Mighty Networks if they want to check it out.
2: Yeah. So MightyNetworks.com. And if you're interested in, in my bio or background, go to the About page. A lot of that's there too.
0: Awesome. Gina Bianchini, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your awesome wisdom and insight with us. I really appreciate it.
2: Awesome. Thank you for having me.
0: I want to remind you about the Video Marketing Summit. Be sure to check out videomarketingsummit.live where you can check out the lineup of the amazing speakers that will be training you online to help you improve your video marketing. Again, videomarketingsummit.live. By the way, if there's anything we mentioned in today's interview and you didn't catch it, don't worry, we take all the notes for you. All you've got to do is follow this simple URL. Simply go to socialmediaexaminer.com slash 363. And there you will find all the notes for today's podcast episode. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. See you next time.
1: The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of
2: Social Media Examiner.